eternity. Thank God it's Friday. La, 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 la. Uh, yeah, there, there are certain small pleasures in life that one cannot completely ignore. Do you agree? Friday is one of them. It's a curious. <laughs> or, not for you. You work Saturday? Oh, it doesn't. It's academic then, eh? Yeah. Uh, but even if you do work uh, Saturday, Saturday itself has a curious feeling about it. Hey, listen, uh, for the... For the, for the benefit of the out-of-town victims, I'd like to uh, put a disclaimer here right away. Uh, there are people out of town who get the show a couple of days late. And we just, uh, it's not on the day that it's actually broadcast. So you're just going to have to, uh, you're just going to have to put up with this. But uh, you, can't, you can't ignore St. Patrick's Day and be in New York. And I'm going to talk, you know, St. Patrick's Day. It's a fact. St. Patrick's Day is totally non-ignorable. If you live in New York, other places in the country, it passes without a whimper. But uh, St. Patrick's Day will, uh, well, in fact, it will intrude on you. I mean, <laughs> you, you can pretend you're going to ignore it, but forget it. Uh, traffic is tied up for how many hours here? Like, uh, well, it starts around 2, something like that, in the afternoon anyway. Forget getting across town in New York City on St. Patty's Day. Now, for those of you who have never seen the St. Patrick's Day Parade, uh, it is. It's just the biggest parade they have every year in New York. It's the biggest one. And at least it looks the biggest to me. There may be others bigger, but I don't think there are any other. Oh, I don't think the, the Thanksgiving Day Parade is. I think it's, uh, there's, you know, with the big balloons and all, but I think that as far as the number of people that march in it and can stand around and watch it, I think St. Patty's Day has to be the biggest of all. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I was on Fifth Avenue, right by St. Patrick's uptown, you know, Fifth and Fiftieth today in that area. And uh, if I told you where I was, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> I was at the Iranian embassy. <laughs> How's that for an exotic afternoon? But uh, nevertheless, uh, there was this fantastic hullabaloo, you know, and, and uh, you couldn't even walk on the sidewalks. Thousands and thousands of people just jammed up, and uh, it was raining. It was a slight rain sullen rain coming down and these people are moving along there uh, in the parade and hundreds and hundreds of little short fat girls dressed as uh, <laughs> dressed as drum majorettes <laughs> I, I don't know what the connection they have with St. Patrick's and Irish but they're there you know all kinds of uh, curious looking bands and, and they're, they're all marching and, and there was one band uh, that well, I happened to see this one particular band went by it was one of the worst marching bands I've ever seen. It was a terrible marching band. Not only were they totally out of step, they had raggle-taggle uniforms, and they were trying to play something completely out of their out of their league. They were trying to play something like Captain, uh, something like NC4 March or Under the Double Eagle. And uh, one guy could play his instrument, and all the rest were sort of, you know, blatting along there. And right behind them was what made it sad. This little, this little terrible rotten band is marching along there. Out of step and raggle tape. There was an argument going on between two clarinet players. They were yelling at each other. You know, and people were all standing in the rain watching it. And they they go on by. And right behind them, and not more than 15 feet behind them, is probably the sharpest band. <laughs> These guys were. They were all dressed in Highland kilts. Fantastic band. You know, they, there must have been 150 of them, and they were incredible step. And they had a 
They had a magnificent beat. Boom, boom, boom. They're rolling out. And up ahead of them is this little band. Looks like a whole bunch of barnacles walking along there, you know. A bunch of boll weevils trying to play their, their tubas. And so in the middle of, <laughs> in the middle of it all, you see these insane buttons. Everybody seemed to have buttons on today. Of course, you know what happens in New York. If you don't know anything about Irish Day, St. Patrick's Day in New York, everybody in... Uh, I would I would have to say that there are probably... Of course, you know, it's legendary. The, the Irish, the real Irish. See, the night before, I happened to have been at a party at the uh, at, at, at a group of Irish officials. By, the, by that, I mean the Irish tourist officials. And people are really Irish, see? And... Uh, they have a curious attitude towards what they call the Third Avenue Irish. This is the New York Irishman who becomes Irish around uh, St. Patty's Day. He becomes instantly Irish. And he goes out and he wears all these buttons and pins and stuff. And very few of them have ever been to Ireland, have any connection whatsoever with Ireland. But they become the most militant Irish. They become very militant. They had IRA buttons, and they were holding up big things. Free Ireland, free my people. You know, they're walking along. <laughs> the guy lives in Queens. You know, <laughs> but that's that's the that's the that's the problem. Uh, one of the things that Americans have always done, they've always gotten themselves involved in other people's battles. Yeah, you know, from Vietnam all the way on back, you name it. You know, and so they're always walking along with big signs. Well, here's this gigantic crowd. And I'm, I'm standing next to a guy that's got a great big button. He's got a button that was maybe 10 inches across. Great big button, see? And it had a shamrock on it. And on, on the, around it, it says, I'm Irish. What's your problem? <laughs> and there were about 12 million girls walking around saying, I'm Irish, kiss me. And, of course, if you'd ever tried it, 15 Irish cops would have hustled you immediately off into the wagon. But uh, nevertheless, this fantastic scene... And I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of it all, see, the middle of this gigantic uproar, trying to get into the Iranian embassy. Now, there's, there's, there's a curious problem. So <laughs> I, get up, I, I, get, I get in the elevator there in this building, so you go up to the 15th floor where the, where the embassy is, and uh, you can hear it down outside. You can hear all the horns blowing and all that stuff, and, and the bands marching by. We're 15 stories up, see, in this big building, right, right at 50th Street, see. And uh, I get up in this big building, and I, I go to the people that I have to go to. I give them my passport and stuff, see, and, and you can hear the horns blowing. And the guy that the people I gave it to, they're, they're very exotic. You see, they're, they're Iranian. You see, very exotic people. And the horns are blowing. You can see the horns. You can hear the horns. And once in a while, I see a little puff of confetti flying past the window there. <laughs> and I wonder what he thought of our, our native celebrations. Uh, here he is, he's, you know, the completely alien world. I imagine he's writing home, uh, dear, dear Ahmed, he's writing back, Ahmed, they have celebrated a curious Native American folk celebration today. Is very curious, is known as, and, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, probably totally inexplicable to him. But, you know, speaking of uh, St. Patrick's Day, as we are, and I know that you're going to be here. A lot of people will be hearing this a couple of weeks afterwards. And what the hell we're talking about St. Patrick's Day? But you know that the one of the most enlightening St. Patrick's Day that I ever spent was in Dublin. I was in Dublin on St. Patrick's Day one year, and and uh, yes, and I was in the hotel in Dublin, and they don't celebrate it. You know, it's, no St. Patrick's Day is is purely an American, and it's almost exclusively a New York thing. 
Uh, it is not celebrated. I've been in, I'll tell you some of the places I've, I've celebrated St. Patrick's Day. I celebrated it once in Dublin. I celebrated it once in Cincinnati, <laughs> which was curious. And, of course, they, 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 they have another thing there, too. Uh, and I celebrated it in uh, one time. Uh, oh, boy, that was an exciting one. I celebrated once and twice, a couple of times in the Army. But, of course, St. Patrick's Day just goes by like any other day in the Army. Nobody ever said anything about it there. However, in, uh, in Dublin, very interesting. Uh, I, I, uh, I remember when, when the, the dawn came up, and I had a very early, yeah, dawn. Uh, oh, boy. And when I travel, I travel early in the morning. It's, uh, that's, I, I reverse my total lifestyle. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm traveling, I'm out like at the crack of dawn because most of the cities that you can you can travel around in uh, are really are really at the most interesting uh, before the morning rush hour and during the morning rush hour to see how people go to work for example people going to work in Amsterdam it's a fantastic sight uh, Amsterdam uh, because the almost the entire population is on bicycle the bicycle is the way of life in Holland and so when you see a whole crowd of women uh, all on these, uh, you know, on these bicycles, women and guys wearing uh, all dressed up with suits with their with their briefcase on the bottom, and they all have these goofy-looking bicycles. They do not have the elegant. By the way, the bicycle cuckoo in the in America uh, is a different kind than in Europe. Here we go for racing bikes, uh, very light, elegant racing bikes. Over there, that's a very rare bike. That would surprise you, probably, but it is. It's used for racing. <laughs> I mean, over there, it's for, it's racing bike. Uh, the, their their bikes, their bicycles over there are, are very uh, are very practical, functional bikes. Uh, they're very dull looking. They're all, they all look like they're painted a sort of a gray, darkish black. They have a high neck, kind of, and they look quite heavy. Uh, they're not they're not elegant at all in our style. And uh, you see hundreds of people all going along on these bikes, and they, they move like sparrows. There's a great crowd of them go from light to light. Now, contrary to the American bicyclists, they stop for their lights. The American bicyclist uh, apparently believes that lights do not have anything to do with him. <laughs> and so I see bicycle guys, and also he apparently believes that one-way streets have nothing to do with him. So he will continually go the wrong way on one-way streets. All, all constantly do this, uh, whereas in, in Europe, the bicyclist uh, uh, is part of the whole traffic scene. He obeys all traffic laws exactly like anybody else. If he doesn't, it's the slammeroonie. That's it. <laughs> I mean, one goes down that one-way street, man, the wrong way, they're going to lay it on him. That's all. But here they don't. Apparently, you know, you get away with it. But uh, nevertheless, uh, every, every early morning is, is very groovy in, a, in countries wherever you go. And uh, one of the great early morning towns is Dublin. And it's a fog. It was at this time of the year, of course, it's, uh, it was St. Patrick's Day. It's at the end of winter. They have a long, foggy, curious kind of spring. And yet it's always green there. It's never really winter like we have. They don't have great drifts of snow or anything. But they do have a winter. It gets very cold and dank. It's island. You know, it's the island. And uh, I remember this morning on, on St. Patrick's Day, this, uh, it was gray. I have a magnificent picture. I took one of the best pictures I've ever taken in my life that morning out of the window of the hotel. And it was a guy in a horse-drawn cart 
coming through the fog, and he had cans of milk in the back, big uh, metal cans, and he was just coming, drifting through the fog with his big Irish horse. They have Irish horses. You know, the, the, the workhorse is very big in Ireland. In fact, it's making a tremendous comeback. You know that in, in the British Isles, workhorses are replacing tractors everywhere because, for one thing, they've discovered they're cheaper. Of course, this is obvious. Uh, secondly, they've discovered they do not pollute the atmosphere the way uh, tractors do. Obviously, well, they do it, but in a different way. But <laughs> not really polluted. And, uh, and, and so the workhorse is making a fantastic comeback in Europe. Did you know that? It's interesting. I will predict that will be the next thing here. You're going to see a lot of people. I don't mean people riding to work on a horse, but I mean workhorses. You know, where, where you'll see a construction site instead of a lot of machines uh, blowing uh, blue smoke into the air. You'll see a, a whole crowd of, of horses digging out a uh, digging out a maybe a foundation or something like that. But nevertheless. Uh, Speaking of work, this is WOR New York. We've got a couple of commercials here. Let's go here. Let's see. First of all, we've got White Bird, the big white and gold beautiful bird, the amazing flying bird. We're still with the flying bird, and uh, people are still writing in. Uh, uh, by the way, with summer coming on, it's time to lay in your, your uh, summer supply. Uh, after all, that's the time to fly your bird. And uh, <laughs> if you haven't flown your bird in a long time, we'd like to suggest you can do it for only three ninety-eight. And these birds are 16 inches across. They really do fly. These are an ornithopter. You've probably seen them by now, but uh, they're, they're really great. Uh, it's uh, probably one of the most amazing toys in the past 50 years. It's a fantastic toy. And uh, it's, a, it's a rubber band-driven bird. And it really flies like a bird. That's all I can say. It flies like a damn bird. You wind up the back, it takes off, and it'll fly. And it's guaranteed to fly. It flies beautifully. And they have two color designs. One is the white dove, which is has white wings and tail with gold trim on it. Or you can order the yellow bird, which is like a copy of the Leonardo da Vinci drawings. They're yellow and brown and gold, and they're beautiful. Anyway, three ninety eight is what these birds go for. And if you'd like to order one, uh, just send a check or money order to Flying Bird, Department S, Post Office Box 1909. And that's the check or money order. Flying Birds, Department S, or F. Lee Bailey's The Defense Never Rests, etc. And anyway, you can call to get into this club. Call them TN71441. TN71441. And as a book find member, you're obliged to purchase just two more books in a whole year. All right? Now, you know, uh, speaking of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Patty's Day, oh I, oh, I have another announcement before we go any further. I've been uh, harassed lately, people writing me notes saying, when is my next big public appearance, uh, big show we're doing? And uh, that is, it doesn't involve a college. And the next, we're going to do keep April 7th off, okay? It'll be April 7th. We're going to do a big show in, of all places, Red Bank. Yeah, New Jersey, April 7th, and it's open to the public. <laughs> so uh, keep that aside. So prepare with a babysitter and the shotgun, all the rest of the stuff you need for April 7th, right? Lay in a couple of bombs, all that jazz, some booze. That's uh, April 7th, and uh, that'll be in Red Bank. And we'll give you more dope in the next couple of days, right? And, uh, oh, one more thing, too, uh, before we go any further. I've been inundated with people who have been sending me copies of the New York Times, the crossword puzzle of last Wednesday. And... Uh, 
I have an idea. I, I really do. I have an idea. I don't think, uh, it's, it's my, to my knowledge, I don't think the Times has ever done anything like that. No, I mean, the, the, the entire puzzle, almost the entire puzzle, related to things, or at least a good part of the puzzle, related to things that deal with the show. For example, they had 21 down was Excelsior. Uh, 46 across was Shepard. Uh, I think 8 across was Hammond. And then Indiana, they had all in there. I think Flick was in there, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I, it's a totally, all I can say, it's, it's a completely relevant and completely satisfying crossword puzzle. I mean, totally relevant. And uh, I would like to suggest all, uh, all crossword puzzle type listeners, any, anybody who worked that Wednesday, last Wednesday's crossword puzzle in the Times, write a fantastic fan, fan letter to Will Wing. Uh, whom I've never met. <laughs> Will Wang is the crossword puzzle editor, apparently. <laughs> right to, uh, you know, can't you imagine the crossword puzzle editor of the Times? He gets about one, maybe two fan letters a year, you know, and they're angry. What the hell is that 12 down? What do you mean, Urdu word for, for glockenspiel? For God's sakes, you know, this is. <laughs> and, and, and one day he gets 3,942 letters. He completely inundates James Reston for that day. So, uh, so I, I, why don't we all write Will Wing a letter? You know, write him a fantastic letter. Uh, and you know, let's uh, let's face it, the, the New York Times crossword puzzle does give most people a reason for living on to the next day. Uh, the crossword puzzle really does, and it and it's like pregnancy, I might say. That, that um, really it is. Either you're a crossword puzzle cuckoo or you're not. There's no in between. To the guy who doesn't do them, they're just that funny thing at the bottom. He always wonders, you know, why do they, why do they waste their time with this stuff? See, to the crossword puzzle fan, the newspaper is merely the frame for the puzzle. And that's a f I know people who buy the New York Sunday Times only for the puzzle. And, and, uh, and I must say that I often am in that category, and I'll never forget how bugged I was one time. I mean, I really was bugged. I, I, I went out you know, to get the New York Times, the Sunday Times thing, and about five places were out of them. You know, you keep going to these newsstands, they don't have any more Times, Sunday Times thing. It's sometimes tough to get it in New York, believe it or not. I finally went uptown. I got the paper, and I came all the way back there. Yeah, I got the Times, and I said, all set now. Ah, oh, great. You know, I'm going to work the puzzle. <laughs> the New York Times magazine was missing in my paper. No puzzle. There I was with 17 pounds of want ads, <laughs> which I never read. Mo many people only look at the want ads. I never read that stuff. I mean, you know, it's a <laughs> that's stuff to feed to the guinea pig. But uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, the puzzle is an interesting problem. So I would suggest to those of you who are puzzle cuckoos, let's all do it at once now. Write a letter to Will Wang and uh, say, Dear Mr. Wang, I have long been an admirer of yours. Your work is incredible. Your puzzle has has uh, kept my mind agile and has put the roses in my cheeks and has made me want to look forward to the next day with anticipation and fear and dread. Uh, the one day, I mean, I'm really... Uh, and, and Mr. Wayne, you have given so much to my life. When are they going to put you up for a Nobel Prize and a Peace Prize and a Pulitzer Prize for fantastic journalism? And at long last... You have come out with a completely relevant puzzle. That puzzle is relevant. In fact, uh, you can you can you can needle a little bit by saying uh, it's relevant. 
say that uh, this is <laughs> the way it came once and 21 down. And <laughs> you've used the word that way ever since. Uh, so it is a relevant puzzle. I'm sorry. Sign your name. New York Times. But, you know, speaking of, uh, of uh, the relevant, if I may, uh, I... I uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not going to burden you with, uh, with any more of this, uh, any more of this, uh, this business of, uh, of St. Patty's Day, except to say that I'm, I'm standing the, on St. Patrick's Day in, in, uh, here I am in, in Dublin. Now, practically every non-neo-Irishman, and by the way, if you're curious, I have my, I have my credentials. Are you curious what my grandmother's name was? Flaudence Rafferty. In fact, her name was Flora Florence Rafferty. So that compounds the... <laughs> I mean, Rafferty, for God's sakes. So, uh, nevertheless, there I am in, in Dublin in a bar at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, there are certain Dubliners who go to the bar at 8 in the morning, see, and they... Yes, this is breakfast uh, with this particular Dubliner I was with who was a writer for the Irish Times. And... Uh, we're standing in the bar at 8 o'clock in the morning, and this is not my scene, but the, this is where he went. So uh, the bartender comes over, and he's got this rag. And you know, I don't know what time he opened up, but it's 8 o'clock in the morning, you know, and it looks like the business is brisk. For, there's a lot of empty glasses and stuff, so I don't know why. You know, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not inventing it. I'm just telling you the truth. So he's wiping away on the bar there. And uh, Ireland's a funny funny country. I... I uh, I don't think there's a country in the world that you more immediately feel at home in than Ireland. This is a fact about Ireland. It's just an absolute fact. I don't care who you are. So I'm standing in the bar there, and he walks up and he says, What will it be? And uh, my friend says, Patties. And he puts up two fingers. Well, Patties is this Irish whiskey. You know what? You know, they have Bushmills Patties. They have Irish, Irish Mist, Tullamora Dew, various other types of, of uh, mind rotters. So uh, he he puts up two fingers like that. Well, I figured, you know, what he meant was two of them. See, well, so I'm immediately trying to figure out how I'm going to get rid of my my Irish whiskey because, you know, drinking Irish whiskey at eight o'clock in the morning takes a certain amount of pizzazz, you know, a certain elan. So, uh, the, yeah, and over there, you know, they don't drink it with rocks all over the top. You got to remember that they they it is not done. So in, when you get Irish whiskey, they give you this glass, and it's just a glass, and they put Irish whiskey in. That's it. It's very naked. Very naked. I'm just surprised they don't just give you the bottle of slug out of it, you know. So uh, he puts up his finger like that, too, like that. And uh, the bartender says, sure, no, very good, Seamus. And uh, Seamus was the guy I was with, obviously. A great name. So he says, very good, Seamus. And so he goes back, and I see him rattling the bottles, and he turns around. And I realized what he meant by two. He did not mean two drinks. He meant doubles for both of us. So he has compounded the problem. <laughs> it's a big and a double in a in a double bar is a it would be would really be a quadruple in any in any uh, New York bar. The gigantic thing. See, it's a, it's like a well, it's like a well, I would say it's like a, a medium sized Coke glass. See, it's filled right to the top. And uh, so with that, he, he, he shoves this little pitcher at you. They get a little pitcher with water, see, and he has another little glass, and you're supposed to drink water, I guess, with this stuff. So with that, uh, with that, Seamus just shake, shakes his head and says, Guinness. And, and I said, what? And, and with that, he draws two Guinnesses. Well, see, he's drinking Guinness and, and uh, patties in the morning. It's a little like that one with the Guinness chaser. Now, that's a mighty breakfast.
So uh, we're we're standing there and 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 Seamus, yeah, and and uh, it's it's very foggy outside. See, and and, and it's uh, it's it's St. Patrick's Day. So here I, 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 I'm very conscious of the fact that it's St. Patrick's Day, and I figure, you know, this must be some kind of a Irish celebration or something. So uh, Seamus says, he says, well, here's, uh, he says, uh, here's to you, and he raises the glass, and we clink these glasses, and you couldn't clink them very much because they were filled right to the very top. Clink it, you know, and you get it running down your sleeve, see, so we go like that. Well, I couldn't get out of it. I had to drink this stuff, see, so he just went, ah, yeah, yeah. Oh yes, uh, now I'm ready. And he takes a he takes a big slug of the, the Guinness Stout, which is in little stein. Uh, and uh, so there I am. I'm confronted with the. I, I, either that, or I'm going to be the ugly American. You know, don't follow lo- local native customs because you do. Eh? You you have to fall in with native customs. And native customs in that bar that morning was to drink double patties. So uh, I you know, I go along with the native customs. So I. I First time in my life I ever did anything like this. Here I haven't even had coffee. To me, you know, coffee, you've got to have coffee in the morning, even, you know, to even start moving around. So I had just come down from the hotel room, and it's, uh, it's cold and clammy like it. It's a, it's, a, it's a brisk March day. So I take my double, say, and I figure, I figure uh, well, I'll, I'll fake it, see. So I, I go, like, well, you just don't sip this stuff, because if you sip it to begin with, your eyes start watering. Looks very embarrassing when you're trying to talk to a guy with your eyes watering. <laughs> and sipping doesn't work very well either because it just merely prolongs the agony. That's the real problem with sipping because this is mighty stuff. Uh, this is ten-year-old Patty, which is uh, which is the real. Let's put it this way: you know that this is the original Scotch. You know the, the if you know anything about whiskey, you know that the Scottish the Scot people of Scotland. That whiskey, really, it's credited with having actually originated in Ireland, and uh, the the Irish whiskey, which was which was comes from Ireland, of course, has a curious smoky peat bog smell. They they this is it's it's made in that country with of the peat bogs, and so uh, later on when they began to make or this is according to the legends when they began to make uh, whiskey in Scotland, they were attempting to to copy the taste of uh, of Irish whiskey, so the real the original whiskey they claim is Irish. So I don't know. I'm not I'm not an expert on it. I know there'll be 28 million people right in, but I, I don't pretend to be an expert on it. Uh, all I can say is that I know what it does. So uh, I I took this thing. I oh you know oh boy I'll tell you that's a that's a that's that's a breakfast coffee. I want to tell you that and they don't drink Irish coffee by the way in Ireland. Irish coffee is a drink that started in San Francisco. In case you're curious, it's nothing to do with Ireland. It spread from America to Ireland, just like in China today. I'm sure they're eating Chicago chop suey. But uh, yeah, I go. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, with that, Seamus says, "Well, he said, uh, well, here's here's to you." I said, "Well, here's to you, Seamus." And he says, uh, "He says, drink her down." That's all. I, I said. By God, I've got to drink it down. It's a toast kind of thing. See, so down it went. Well, after the first two swallows, there's a curious thing happens to your entire, your entire larynx and your your your, your <laughs> you know the, the upper part of your body be, suddenly becomes it's a, almost like an anesthetic. It becomes a, it's like a, a big shot of Novocaine, and your 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 throat and everything sort of tingling. It goes to sleep. <laughs> down it goes. And there's a brief moment of, of quietus when it hits your stomach, and then there's a dull explosion. 
down there in the empty stump. Boom. That's why you always follow it with the with the. <laughs> you can actually feel it hitting down there. Yeah, it's a physical feeling. You can just see it's like a like a small bowling ball hits somewhere down in your gut. You see a small bowling ball made out of molten lava. Boom! It hits down there, and you quickly follow it with the Guinness, which then quenches that. That's what the idea of the Guinness Guinness the the Guinness Stout. See, the Guinness Stout. Then see what it does is a, is this an antidote. At that point, Guinness Stout, which is fairly potent in itself, tastes extremely benign. It's a uh, compared to the patties at eight o'clock in the morning. The Guinness Stout is oh, you know, like a little uh, no cal or uh, you know, it's just a, you're following it up with a little, <laughs> you know, little uh, little glass of uh, yuhu or something like that. See, I just like that with the Guinness. See, well, it it sort of counteracted it, and uh, Seamus looks up and says, he says. Uh, he just raised the two fingers. He says, uh, "He says we'll have another there," and uh, I couldn't escape. And he lays two more of them down. The bartender, sure, the shameless, right, coming up. And he lays two of them down in front of me with two more Guinness stouts. Well, we hadn't said much before that. Me and me and Seamus. In fact, I'd only met him four minutes before. <laughs> he was a newfound friend. <laughs> so, so uh, we we this is now this is an exact. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you an exact celebration of a true St. Patty's Day. So I, I, I said, uh, gee, this is... Uh, you, you find yourself speaking in fake brogue when you're in Ireland. Five minutes, you find yourself doing it. You know, you you say things like, sure, this is a very fine whiskey. And uh, so I said to him, this is an elegant whiskey, Seamus. He says, Patty's, of course. And I says, indeed. And he says, uh, he says well, drink up, we're on our way. It's like that. I just got enough. Drink up. We're on our way. So I says, "What do you?" He goes, boom, boom, boom. "Down goes the next. Down goes the, the the Guinness. We had another Guinness. See. So I says, "All right, I'm on my way." Well, I found a very interesting thing about that kind of thing. The second one just really doesn't do the, what the first one does. It, it, by now you're used to it. It's like getting into cold water. <laughs> yeah, that's right. See. So I just knocked down the second one. See. Well, we're on our way out. We're on our way out, and, and we're, we're beginning to walk out the door now. See, Seamus has laid down a couple of pounds down on the bar. He's got his change. We're about to leave. And uh, and I'm beginning to feel extremely friendly. That's, that's the only thing I can say. you got a very friendly feeling in one of these Irish bars. So I'm about to leave with, with Seamus when suddenly in through the door comes a guy who uh, we shall refer to uh, as Andy. Uh, Andy <laughs> was not his name, but the will. Right? Andy comes walking in through the door, and he says, Seamus. And Andy says, you know, Seamus. And, and, and with that, Seamus says, Andy, my boy. And, and uh, how are you? What are you doing in this part of town? And uh, Andy says, oh, well, I was just going on by. And I said, oh, I saw you in there in the bar. And, uh, and <laughs> Seamus says, well, indeed we were. We're about, to, we're about to leave. And Andy says, well, come on in and have one with me. Well, Seamus says, well, all right. He says, we are not in that much of a hurry. So before I know what happens, we've turned around. We're back at that damn bar again. And it, it seems like five guys have got their fingers up. In the, it, when, see, in, in Ireland, when you raise two fingers, that is not the victory sign. <laughs> if you think that means peace, all I can say in Ireland, if you start putting your fingers up like that, you're going to be drunk and a skunk in ten minutes. So uh, <laughs> with that, all these guys start putting, their, both, both Seamus and Andy put their hands up like that. 
Well, the bartender, he's not going to turn him down. He says, sure, Andy and Seamus, we're coming right up. And with that, both of these guys ordered doubles. Two of them. We, 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 what means I'm saying I got two doubles sitting in front of me now. So has Seamus and so has Andy. Well, we put them down. And I, I just don't know. I've never done a... I'm, I'm not a drinker. I'll have to tell you this right offhand. You know this, Bill. I'm not, I'm not a drinker. Well, it's funny, though, what atmosphere will do to you. I mean, being in a certain atmosphere. So we drank down the doubles, me and, me and Seamus and Andy. And we're standing there by the bar. And, you, you know, I, I've discovered now... This, this was the first time I discovered... That really, it was a, kind of an interesting discovery to me at, the point, at that moment. Why they have those brass rails on bars. You've seen those brass things? Because they hold you up. Uh, <laughs> you hook your foot in there. <laughs> yeah, it gives you something to brace on. <laughs> see, so they, that's the truth. See, so so uh, we, I got my foot there on that thing there. See, and I got my other foot braced behind me. See, and I, I, I knocked this, this third double down. And it, it, it's now beginning to taste very good. It, as a matter of fact, it doesn't have any, it doesn't even do anything, really. It just tastes good. So I drank it down, drank down the Guinness. And uh, Seamus says, well, come on, let's go. It's time to have some breakfast, a spot of breakfast. A spot of breakfast. And so we, <laughs> and Andy, Andy had gotten involved with about five other guys down at the other end of the bar that were friends of his. So they, you know, they were going back and forth with their hands up. And all that. So we finally fought our way out to the street. Without another drink. Now, I have three doubles inside of me. You ready for that? Three doubles of patties. So I, and I'm, and curiously enough, it is doing very little to me, except that it's, I notice that it has, it has expanded my, my, uh, my ebullient personality now almost to the excruciating point. Like, you know, I'm walking down the street hollering at chicks and buses and, you know, and, and waving at people up in offices and stuff like that. <laughs> and we go out, it was really great. So we walk on down the street, and now we're going to where we're going to have breakfast. Now, you're curious what we had for breakfast. All right, all right, I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what we did. So we go into another place, which is also a bar. You know, this is the worst part of it. We go into this other place where Seamus Kelly always goes, and they're having breakfast in there. And so breakfast consists of a great big thing of tea. You know, they give you this, yeah, tea, you know. They give you a great big thing of tea with a, with a slice of bread, this Irish soda bread, and mushrooms. That's it. Yeah, I, I, I found that was a really, very, very, very felicitous breakfast. They had mushrooms that were sort of basted in butter. Oh, they were great. They delicious. See? So I got the mushrooms. I'm eating the bread. And I'm drinking the tea, and I'm feeding like, you know, I'm, I'm feeding 5,000% better than I've felt in 100 years. You know, I, I, I don't know what's happening to me. And all of a sudden, the guy walks past Seamus. We're sitting at this little round table in the bar, and he says, Seamus, how are you? And Seamus looks up and says, well, uh, uh, don't tell me you're back in town. And the other guy says, yeah, I'm back. He says, well, by God, Patty, we've got the sub. Well, how, how long has it been? He said, I've been up. He said, I've been up north now for over four months. Just got back last night. He said, well, how about it? With that, the hands go up. <laughs> well, all right now. Now, it's, uh, it's, this is a true story I'm telling you. So I'm sitting there. So I'm sitting with, with, with Seamus and, and, and drinking the tea and knocking down the doubles of Patty's. And uh, eating the bread and eating the eating the mushrooms, when up 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 comes Seamus with one of the comments that's uh, one of those. You have maybe a, a 
50 or 60 comments in your lifetime that are truly educational, somebody says to you, and it just sticks in your mind. Seamus is sitting there, and Seamus looks, he's got a face that looks, well, I would only say that, that you've heard the expression, a face that looks like the map of Ireland. This guy actually did. I mean, you could see little lakes and little mountains and stuff all over him. You know? <laughs> he really did. <laughs> he, in fact, his, his face is so fantastic. He has such a fantastic face. The, 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 the Irish, well, the, you know, John Huston, the film director, lives outside of Dublin. He took one look at this guy's face and put him in a film just for, for his face. What film was it? It was Moby Dick, the one that uh, Huston did with uh, Gregory Peck. And he was one of the sailors. In fact, he was, there's a very famous scene of him sitting there. So Seamus, Seamus, his name is Seamus Kelly. Seamus says to me, he says, he says, you know, he says, I've been wanting to ask you. And I said, well, all right, go ahead. You know, by this time, it's maybe 8.30, 9 o'clock. See, we're old friends now. See, we, it's like we've talked all our lives. And that's one thing that the, in Ireland, it is just, if you like to talk, believe me, in Ireland, uh, Music, you know, you never hear much about Irish music. It is a, it's a little thing. They don't have a, they don't have, they, you know, music isn't a big thing in Ireland. And, and uh, whiskey is a fairly big thing. But the national hang-up is talk. Uh, that is an absolute fact. Now, I've, I've traveled all over Ireland. I've been to Ireland many times. And I've known, I've known many Irishmen. And I'm not talking about the New York City Third Avenue Irishman, you know, which is, you know, this is something else. Uh, this is, uh, you know, kind of an offshoot of Archie Bunkerism, but uh, this is another thing. I'm talking about elegant, great talk. And, of course, as a professional talker, it was just like I had died and woke up in heaven. <laughs> you know, so I'm sitting there with all these guys, and, and, and we're, we're going on. You know, everybody's got five million stories. We're sitting there, and finally, Seamus says to me, he says, you know, I've been meaning to ask you. He said, there's something I've been wanting to ask you about. Well, he said it with the kind of tone, like, you know, we've been talking 150 years now, and there's a thing I've been always wanting to say. And I says, sure, Seamus, go. What is it? Anything. He says, you know, he said... Would you tell me how it is in New York on St. Patrick's Day? He says, I've always wanted to visit New York on St. Patrick's Day. It's an Irishman. I said, well, all I can tell you. <laughs> Seamus says, everybody in, in New York has this illusion that if they could only visit Ireland on St. Patrick's Day, it would be the ultimate St. Patrick's Day, and they don't celebrate it here. And uh, he says... He says, I've always wondered about that. He says, you mean they pray down the street? And I said, they do indeed. And I said, they, 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 they drink heavily, and they, 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 they have fights on 8th Avenue, and they do the whole thing. He says, well, who are these people? I said, well, they all pretend they're Irishmen. <laughs> he, says, he says, well, there aren't that many Irishmen in the world, you know. We don't have many people. And I said, that's true, Seamus. But... Uh, it's a funny thing happens to New York. New York has a tendency to go ape over things like this. You know, it's a kind of a crazy city. He said, I've always wanted to be in New York on St. Patrick's Day. And I'm sitting there, you know, I've, I've been there, see, and I says, well, he's, I says, you'll have to do it one day, Seamus. And uh, he says, Jesus, you know, he said, uh, he says, I've always, uh, I've always been interested in New York. I said, well, you know, it's a, uh, I'll tell you stories of New York. And so I did. So for, for two or three hours, we see, see sitting in, in taverns, in bars. It's mostly a male thing. You know, that's another thing, too. Uh, the, the, uh, the Irish 
life in Ireland, the actual life there, uh, is is uh, there's a lot of curious things that Americans are, are kind of uh, kind of kind of a strange thing. For example, men and women are largely segregated. Uh, you don't go to bars and sit around with girls very often in Ireland. It's a very rare thing, and it's a special bar. The whole pub mystique is something that has, we have no parallel to it. We have pubs here, but they're not at all like pubs in those countries, even though we may have the same kind of uh, old uh, old oaken walls and stuff. But the pub, the pub mystique is a very special mystique, and it's extremely masculine. It's almost like, it's almost like maleness multiplied by a thousand. And, and you stand in these pubs, you know, and have these great big levers, and the only... The only female in the pub, of course, is the barmaid. They have these fantastic barmaids. She's pulling all this Guinness stout and arf and arf and all that stuff, and the, and serving serving the patties. And it's just a just a great roaring hubbub of, of continual talk and pipe smoke. Uh, pipe smoking is one of the national things in Ireland, and uh, they smoke a they, Irish uh, pipe tobacco. It's not quite like English. It's a it's a dark. Uh, uh, dark, rich, very, uh, very heady sort of smelling. It's not aromatic in our sense, but r- uh, curious, cutting aromatic richness. And so you see this pipe smoke drifting all around in these places. And uh, Seamus and all these guys yelling back and forth in their, their scruffy old overcoats. They wear these rotten-looking old overcoats. They real bad-looking hats. And uh, their watery eyes, you know, it's always watery eyes because it's always vaguely cold there. The wind is blowing in off the river and off the sea and stuff. And their faces are red. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, we've got no parallel to it. I mean, there's uh, all these uh, very self-conscious Irish bars in New York just are not like. Just the pub is a whole new world. So there I am with Seamus. And we're talking about New York, and pretty soon a, gr- a bunch of guys start gathering around. And everybody says, I heard what you were saying about this. You know anybody? I have a relative that lives in a place called Queens. Is there a Queens in New York? And I says, yes, there is. He says, well, what is it like, really? As well as Utopia. He has Utopia Parkway. He writes about this. And so, <laughs> so I'm telling these guys in Dublin what New York is like. See, they're fascinated because they've all got relatives. You know, they live in places like Bayside. At the places like Cleveland, and the guy will say, "Well, what, 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 what sort of a place is Milwaukee? I have a brother living out there." And so I start telling him about Milwaukee. And I say, "My God, you know, it's 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 totally the reverse of what most people think. And most people think in, in Ireland would be a great, fantastic uh, celebration on St. Patrick's Day. No, just life goes on. So we stood there and drank our." Patties, and I told them wondrous tales of Staten Island. I told them tales of Third Avenue at dusk. All the beauties. <laughs> sure. This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News. The news in detail on the hour from the WOR Newsroom. Seven babies were delivered of one mother today in a Santa Clara, California hospital. The unidentified woman gave birth to four girls and three boys in eight minutes. An obstetrician at the Kaiser Medical Center said that the best chance of survival rests with two girls who were rushed to the Stanford University Medical Center 20 miles away in Palo Alto. Meanwhile, three other babies remain in critical condition at Santa Clara Hospital. The other two infants were stillborn. 
There's no word as to whether the mother was taking fertility drugs. A $57,000 bank robbery tonight in Queens. Police reported three men armed with shotguns entered the King's Lafayette Bank branch at 144-61 Northern Boulevard just before 7 p.m. The robbers escaped with the cash. They caused no injuries. Police said the trio was last seen going over a fence to 35th Avenue. President Nixon's advisor, Robert Finch, amplified what the administration hopes for in its school busing moratorium proposal to Congress. In Los Angeles today, Finch said, We do not happen to believe, and the Supreme Court has never said, that you have to have precise racial makeup in every school that reflects the, the total district. Nobody is arguing that I've found, uh, whether it's in the Coleman Report, or in other areas, that it's good education to have a precise, equal balance for a whole district, whether it's a state, or a region, or a city, or a county, in each school. We don't have to have one Chinese in each school because there happens to be uh, 8% Chinese in an overall school district to make it educationally sound. Alabama's Governor George Wallace declared today, I told you so. I knew the message from Florida would get to Washington pretty fast. Wallace's comment was, of course, on President Nixon's call to the Congress to suspend future court-ordered busing to racially integrate public schools. Senate Republican Whip Robert Griffin called the president's approach to the busing system rational and realistic. Acting Attorney General Richard Kleindien said there is no legitimate doubt that the Congress has the power to order a stay in the court busing orders. He said the federal government...